Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Today, though, we're going to be talking about breastfeeding and lactation, and especially talking about the journey of one very, very successful young woman. I have with me today my guest, Amy Singh. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Marie. I'm so thrilled to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And for all of you in the listening audience, you need to know why Amy is here, why she got invited on the show. Amy is the recipient of the 2020 Felix Biancuso Scholarship. And I want to tell you that we get piles piles of applications for a scholarship. And Amy, who is just a, a remarkable woman. She's going to tell you a little bit about her story, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. But let me tell you, this woman literally rose to the top of the pile. Amy Singh is a doula and breastfeeding counselor. She is currently working towards becoming an IBCLC. That is, she is enrolled in my 90-hour comprehensive lactation course. Amy is a former academic and research scientist who focused on plant physiology. Today, Amy is heavily involved in consumer advocacy surrounding birth and breastfeeding with multiple maternity and breastfeeding advocacy organizations. She lives in the Blue Mountains near Sydney, Australia, and she is with her husband and three children ages seven, four, and one and a half. I'm sure she's got her hands full. Amy is extremely passionate about birth rights, women's rights, and ensuring that all women have the support, encouragement, and connections they need to establish and maintain breastfeeding with their babies. She has witnessed the importance of good support, information, and connection during her own pregnancy, birth, and breastfeeding journey, which, of course, led her into this current journey. So, Amy, I kind of want to start right from the top here. First of all, I'm curious, how did you hear about the Felix Biancuso Scholarship? Yeah, so um, I've got a really incredible friend and lactation mentor, um, and she was in my mother's group with my second baby, Hamish. Yeah, and so I got to know her quite well and she's an IBCLC and has been for a few years and um, she kept sending me links to various different things that I could look into and I found your podcast and also (laughs) your comprehensive lactation education course through her and once I saw what it involved, I was like, oh, I'd really like to do that and sort of signed up to the subscription list and then became aware of the scholarship. And so 
once I was aware of that, I was like, look, I'm just going to apply with absolutely no expectation that it would go anywhere. (laughs) Um, And was just so happy when I got the email congratulating me on being the recipient. So thank you so much. Oh, you are welcome so much. And it was a real joy to award you the scholarship. And by the way, as you know, I'm a nurse. And when we first started this scholarship in 2010, I really had to do a little soul searching. I asked myself, will I be biased towards awarding this to a nurse? But interestingly enough, uh, I would say maybe only half of the recipients have been nurses. And as you are living proof of, you're not a nurse. You are not in the United States. You are in many ways, having a very different background from my own. And yet, everything about your application and actually everything you wrote about yourself in your short bio here really, really resonated with me. I could really tell that you were the real deal. You know, one of the things, and all of the, well, not all, but several people on our team do go through those um scholarships or scholarship applications, I should say, before they get to me. First of all, anything that is not complete, I tell them, just put it in the trash. If if people did not fully complete the application into the round file, it goes, I don't want to bother to see it. But uh, when I saw yours, it was very clear to me that your application came to the top of the pile. And I, I just want to tell our listeners a little bit about how Amy came to the top of my pile. First of all, um, everything in the earlier pages of your application was very good, but that is not uncommon. It's when I get to the end of the scholarship applications, there is a personal statement. And if all other things are equal, that personal statement really jumps out at me, or it just doesn't. And so this is what the directions say. It says, your personal statement is your last opportunity to convince us that you deserve the scholarship. Applications who tell us how passionate they are about breastfeeding have no advantage since all applicants are passionate about breastfeeding. Be sure that your personal statement explains why you are so deserving of this scholarship. In 150 words or less, describe why you feel you are the most deserving of the of the most deserving candidate for this scholarship. If your statement is below or over 150 words, I just noticed I'm ashamed of myself. (laughs) That's a typo. (laughs) It should be. If your statement is over 150 words, your application will be voided and you will not be considered for the application. You said that you were deserving of of the uh, scholarship because of what I guess I would call these personal characteristics about yourself. And then it's not just that you told me how great you were. It's that you gave these really riveting examples of how you had lived out these characteristics that basically propelled you forward. So while it's always it's. Sometimes I say to the team, oh, my word, this takes so much time. we got to read all these things. But uh, 
yours was really quite outstanding and you made the job easier, certainly. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Good, bad, what got you down this path? Some people come because they have had some really excellent experiences with breastfeeding. Others come because they've had some really horrible exp- uh, experiences with breastfeeding. Uh, tell us a little bit about what led you down this path. Yeah, so um, right at the very beginning, I have just always been very interested in science and yes birth and breastfeeding the the backstory is my parents actually owned a pet shop when I was very young and um yeah and we had we had lots of dogs and we bred show dogs and I used to be a miniature doula for those dogs so I would just (laughs) hold space for them I really didn't do much I just sort of sat sat and made sure that you know my baby brother didn't come busting in and and it was um it was really amazing watching that. And then I just developed this love for animals and science and did all of the sciences in high school and then did my um, Bachelor of Advanced Science when I went into university and followed that on with an honours and a PhD in plant physiology. And the main reason for that was just I couldn't focus on animals because they didn't they didn't have that focus at the uni I was, I was uh, at. Uh. Yeah, so... I just sort of followed my nose really through that degree and I adored it. Like I learned so much about um, just the research techniques and everything. But then had my first baby midway through my PhD and my entire world changed. Um, Yeah, it just tilted on its axis. And when I when I was, when my mind was opened to pregnancy and birth again and to breastfeeding and what that meant and the the importance of postpartum support, mm. I just, it revolutionized my whole life. So um, after she was born, I, I was committed and I finished my PhD. I didn't have a great deal of passion left for it, for the topic, unfortunately. But um, I, yeah, I finished it and I was like, you know, I'm either going to study more in this birth and breastfeeding area or, you know, I just I felt like I was being pulled in a different direction. Uh, And so then when I was pregnant with my son, I started doing just some soul searching, I suppose. And after he was born, I had an extremely difficult breastfeeding experience with him. Uh, it was so my my daughter's breastfeeding experience wasn't the easiest. Um, she was born by cesarean. My milk took a little bit of time to come in, and I couldn't I couldn't get her to latch. She was she was born at thirty six plus four. So uh-huh. yeah, which I now after listening to all of your incredible podcasts, um, it it actually makes a lot of sense that she had the difficulties she did, yeah. and that I did as well. Uh, yeah, and so she was fed with a nipple shield for two and a half years. Um, oh, my. Yeah, and then, you know, that was my only experience of breastfeeding. And then when I had my son, um, he had a tongue tie, a high palate, a shallow gag reflex, and I have an extremely large milk supply just typically, um, and a fast letdown. And so all of that combined, it made for a really difficult journey at the start. And I, I ended up with mastitis multiple times mm-hmm. and we ended up getting his tongue tie revised and it still didn't fix things. And 
So then I was, you know, really digging like, why? Why hasn't that fixed it? What else could it be? And started looking into cranio. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, And I started looking into craniosacral therapy and all these different yeah, modalities just to see, you know, how could I fix this? Like, how could I make it a good experience? And I mean, in the end, it was good. I had, I had so many challenges along that way though. Like, um, I also experienced a galactoseal while breastfeeding him. He was six weeks and then it became infected. And so there was just (laughs) all sorts of, I kept, I just kept being told, oh, you're, um, you have a very interesting medical history and I was like, yeah, I suppose I do. I'm not sure I like being interesting very much. But um, And so, yeah, it was just really full on. And after that I decided, look, I'm, I definitely want to pursue this breastfeeding support thing because I needed so much support and I recognised how limited that was, particularly in my local area. So we've got an incredible Australian Breastfeeding Association local group here. We've got a really beautiful IBCLC who works through our community health programs, which she was who put me into contact with a lot of the people I needed. But even with that support, like it took a lot for me to actually get the support I needed, like to find them. Yes. Yes. And yeah. And so I, I did, I started training with the ABA, um, to become a breastfeeding counsellor and I was sort of dipping my toe in the water just to see, you know, how committed am I to this thing? Is it just going to be another path that I'm, you know, I end up at the end of and go, oh, my gosh, why did I waste 10 years doing this, <laughs> which it wasn't a waste, of course, but um, but no, the more I learnt, the more in- amazed I was and also the more astounded I was at how little we support breastfeeding women yeah I was just I was quite appalled actually and looking at all of the all of the hospital policies around me don't get me going (laughs) I know so yeah so I'm now and that's how I sort of got into the breastfeeding world um I was doing some birth advocacy prior to that uh but um and now I'm doing a lot more breastfeeding advocacy as well I sit on the local committee for the baby friendly hospital initiative and yeah so just really trying to make some changes from that level and I recognize it's actually really hard and so being able to provide that support one-on-one to women when the wheels do fall off because quite often that does happen it does happen yes yeah especially with the lack of support in our hospitals so yeah, that is that's where I got to and I'm just well, keeping on going. Yeah. Interestingly, Amy, um I teach live quite frequently and I don't know how many people uh, I met. I don't know how many courses I taught before I realized there was one thing that kind of always kept surfacing to the top of my head. I realized these people are sitting in these seats and they want to become an IBCLC because breastfeeding was a life-changing event for them. Mm. And as I hear you talking, guess what I hear? Breastfeeding was a life-changing event for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and go ahead. It, it, I think what I neglected to say as well was that after my cesarean with my daughter, 
uh, breastfeeding, I think, really helped me to have something that I could do for her that I felt Mm. like I can actually, this is a tangible thing that I can succeed at and that I can do with her. So it was so healing and so important. And the, the fact that it was almost derailed by the hospital, it's just, yeah, it's not okay. So absolutely, like it was a life-changing event for me, learning to breastfeed and getting to breastfeed each of my three babies. And I'm still breastfeeding my littlest now. And my son, I I got to breastfeed him throughout my pregnancy with her and Mm -hmm. I tandem fed once she was born. And it was just beautiful. Like Uh it's such a beautiful way of connecting with our babies. I I can't help but say that by now I've got so many of my nurse friends who are retired and some will say, well, Marie, have you thought about retiring? The answer is no, no, because I can't shut up. You know, I (laughs) I can't shut up. I am still so passionate about breastfeeding, breastfeeding support, breastfeeding evidence-based practice, blah, 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 because I, I know that this probably boggles your mind. But some of the things that I was seeing probably before you were born mm-hmm. are still a problem. And it's not just here in the U.S. It's not just in Europe. It's not just in Australia. It is everywhere that we keep trying to I don't know, like somehow suffocate the the act of breastfeeding when I, I honestly I think that you're being a, a mini doula for your parents' uh pets was <laughs> a good thing because uh you know frequently we just don't understand that breastfeeding does not exist in a vacuum. It's all of those those birth things and all of those postpartum things that are all part of the equation. And we can't solve just people say, oh, it's like a little puppy. It's going to just latch on. Isn't it instinctive? Well, not if we mess it up. But anyway, uh, as we talk about that, it brings me to another question, which is, you know, sometimes, especially when I teach a course live, I've had people come to me on Monday at at noon when we break for lunch and say, I had no idea what this course was. I, uh, uh, I, uh, uh, and they they know it's a 90 hour course, but they're just astonished at what I'm rolling out. Did you find that people had some very limited ideas about uh, who is qualified what is it, what have you got to go through in order to provide this level of lactation support? Would you say that people were a little uninformed about that? Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the key things that I have as a doula and just as a breastfeeding counselor, one of the, the key things I come up against is, oh, but my midwife or my child and family health nurse said this. Oh, yeah. And I go, yep. Yeah, okay. And I, you know, I'm not in a position where I can say or would want to say, like, (laughs) that's not evidence-based practice. Right. (laughs) But it's also um, about, you know, just meeting these mothers where they're at and providing that support and and then 
helping them to recognize a lactation professional, even a breastfeeding counselor, if I can be so bold to say, has quite likely more breastfeeding specific training than a midwife or a child and family health nurse does. And they're the first Mm. port of call in our hospitals. And so, you know, as a breastfeeding counsellor, I felt very out of my depth a lot of the time because I did go into the hospital to provide support to these women and the information that they were being given, I was like, this is so outdated. Like, you know, routine feeding every three to four hours, um, it just and and keep the baby in the cot like you don't. Oh yeah, and, and it was just so wrong. It was so challenging. <laughs> it was so challenging. And so then once I and I think even I didn't recognize just how epic the the journey to being an IBCLC is until I I pursued it and started on that path myself. But to recognize that from from the you know, when you work with a advocacy organisation or become a breastfeeding counsellor with ABA, for example, you you have to do 1,000 hours of counselling women directly before you can even think about qualifying to be an IBCLC. And you have all of these health science units you need to do and you have the 90 hours of lactation-specific education and you have continuing professional development. And there's so many things that IBCLCs have to do in order to get their registration and then maintain that. Um, this is not a walk in the park. No, absolutely not. And, <laughs> right. and and then to have people compare IBCLC information to that provided by the child and family health nurse oh, yes. is it, it's quite difficult. It, it's, it's a difficult thing to navigate because, you know, by all means they may have a large amount of information, but I have – several friends that are midwives that now come to me for the information. Oh, yeah. I I distinctly remember teaching my uh, comprehensive course in San Diego. And on the last day, a very experienced midwife came up to me and she said, I learned more in this course than I ever learned when I and and she had an advanced degree, for heaven's sakes, uh, that I ever learned as I prepared to become a midwife, I'm just blown away by how much there is to know. So not only did she not know the information that I was presenting, she didn't even know that that information was out there and that she ought to be knowing it. And, you know, she was very gracious and she was very interested, but I don't think she had a clue that it was going to be at the depth that it is. So Amy, along those same lines, I know that you're currently enrolled in my 90 hour course. And I, I try to tell people, my course is not for everybody. It isn't. Uh, It's for the people that are serious and need to kind of be on the top of the pile and hunker down, you know, but this is not just for people that want to check the box. What would you tell people who are thinking about starting their journey with that 90 hour course? Yeah, good question. So um, I think being aware that it is definitely 90 hours and quite possibly more, (laughs) there is so much, there is so much content and it can feel a little overwhelming, but if you just plug away at it, you can get through it. Um, but just being mindful that you're going to be exposed to a lot of information that you've never heard before, even if you have been in this field for a while. Right. And 
that um, it's it really is very comprehensive. So, for example, I had to do so much digging to find out about craniosacral therapy, for example. I really had to dig to find that information before I had done your course. When I was doing your course, I was delighted that you just had that in there. Like it's yeah. just one of the things that you introduce the the people that you're teaching to. And I think it's a really holistic uh, view of lactation. It's not breastfeeding in isolation because right. it can't be. It's it, all no, of right. the things. And, yeah. you know, Amy, I'm thinking, I don't know when you started my course. When did you start my course? Uh, oh, I think it was probably uh, March of last year. Oh, that gets hard to say then because in March, it was right at the kind of almost the middle of March was when I rolled out the the new course. So I don't know if you're on my new course or my old course, mm-hmm. but um, in the new course, I have given both the required assignment and a lot of recommended assignments. Ah, uh, so, yes. So I had that. I definitely do. had that. Yeah. Okay. And I thought that was so wonderful. I, I did all of them, but I think having having the, yeah, this is what you really need to know. And then this is the stuff that you probably should know, but if you get stuck, you can get through well, it. And some people want to do the deeper dive. And so I feel like it's my responsibility to point them to a credible resource. Yes. And uh, yet I don't want to overwhelm people. And by the way, we get this question in the office all the time. How long will it take me to do your 90-hour course? Well, that would be 90 hours. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I think what they're really asking is how many months. Now, you have your plate full, Amy. You have three small children, you have a real job, you have all of your advocacy stuff, and it's taken you a little more than a year, right, to, to do my course? Yeah, it. I think I had sort of signed up for it. I really worked very diligently at it for, I suppose, probably about six months. Um, and it was, you know, hours each each week. Like I, yeah. I aimed to do a little bit every day. And I think- That's the ticket. Yep. Yeah. And I think having, because you've got so many different um, ways of satisfying these outcomes. So, you know, there is reading and then there's videos and then there's podcasts. And so I just tried to get through enough before I was in the car next so that I could listen to the podcast while I was driving yeah, in yes. the car <laughs> yes. and just time it all in. And so, yeah, I think it, but I, I, I do think it took me a good six months to really get through it and and have uh, and do the not only the required but also the recommended assignments. Tell me that you're working on some of those exercises where you do the matching and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I I was and I haven't looked at them for a while, but I will be going back because my my exam is in. April or May of this oh, year, which is, yes. it's getting exciting. It's very close. Well, yeah. here's the thing is that I really encourage people, see, if you were in a live course, we would do a lot of activity and it's a whole lot harder to present that online. But I feel like people need to be doing something rather than just listening because 
when they're engaged in their own learning, they're more likely to retain that. So what were, you know, we, we get this from so many people. Well, I liked, I liked, I liked. What were some of your favorite parts of the course? Either the, the mode in which you were consuming it or the topics or whatever. I really liked, this is probably a strange one to say, but I really liked the layout. I felt like the layout of how the information was presented was really clear. It made sense. It flowed really easily from one topic to the next. So it didn't feel like all of a sudden you're dumped in this topic that you're like, I don't know what these words mean. Uh, um, I, you do I realize liked, you just made my day, right? <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> well, seriously, I mean, I spent well over 90 hours just sitting and outlining and outlining and outlining and outlining. And that's before I ever started recording anything or I just, I, I think that sequencing a course, that's called design. And uh, as an instructional designer, I really take pride in trying to move people in what I think is a logical sequence. And I know that everybody works or learns a little bit differently. But yeah, you know, I try. Oh, you just totally made my day. Because I think it's got to make sense. And I moved stuff around a gajillion times, just because I really value that idea that you know, you got to consume this stuff in a way that makes sense. Anyway, I interrupted, but you totally made my day. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, I'm so glad. So, yeah, absolutely. I think the flow was just really fantastic. I felt that even though I, I didn't end up needing to reach out for support, but I felt like if I had needed to, it would oh, yeah. have been right there. Oh, absolutely. Um, yep. Yeah. But I think yep. the fact that I didn't need to is a testament to the course as well because it was just so thorough and then I also really liked the way that you had all of the different learning styles for the different people, the yeah. different learning types. So there was audio, but there was also visual. And then you had exercises that you could do on paper and jotting things down. And I think having all of these different modes of learning th scattered throughout the course and uh, it just allows you to really absorb that information, as you said. So I, yeah, I really liked that. I thought that was wonderful. And oh, good. Yeah, and the depth of the information that you go into, I think, was incredible. Well, thanks. I do have some people who say, well, I didn't like the audio or I didn't like the video. Well, you know, there's always going to be something that somebody doesn't like, but then the very next person says, oh, I loved the whatever. And yeah. so it seemed to me like the real answer is there is a real smorgasbord and uh, and some topics kind of lend themselves better to one mode or the other. Uh, I consider this this program to be truly comprehensive. It covers all 105 topics and subtopics on the IBLCE exam, and it addresses all 114 of the IBLCE's clinical competency. Uh, did you feel that depth and breadth of the course as you walked through it? Yeah, definitely. So I think okay. the, and I, I feel like that's why the learning feels like it's so solid because mm. I know that in my own in my own experience with study and also with teaching, I was a lecturer at the uni for a while. The deeper you go into a topic, the more broad the understanding is for that topic, <laughs> yes. and then the person 
understands, you know, the who, what, why, when, and how, and they can really, really solidify that in their mind. And so I feel like that was the case for me by stepping through it. You got so much information that the, the more basic aspects of it were just, yeah, okay, I've been over this so many times now that I understand that that's really solid, it's concrete, and then there's just little bits to add in along the way as well. Um, so, yeah, I did feel like it was the depth and the breadth was amazing. And like I said, there were topics that I didn't I, – I had had to dig for so much before – doing your course that I feel like I've just been introduced to so seamlessly, but then also new information that I had never encountered, uh, which was just wonderful. Yeah. So, Amy, this drives me a little bit nuts. Address this, if you would, please. To what extent would you have been able to pick out all of that those 90 hours for yourself? Would you have picked out all of those 90 hours or would you have, in some respects, just like not realized you really needed to look at that. Oh, I absolutely would have had aspects I wouldn't have realized (laughs) I needed to look at. There's, yeah, there were some topics that I thought I had already cleared, like when I was going through the, the competencies and sort of ticking them off. Yep. I've done that. Yep. I've done that before I had actually signed up to your course. Um, I was like, Oh no, I'm all set on that because of my breastfeeding counselor training. And I still had so much more to learn. So I think, yeah, I wouldn't have have been able to pick these out by myself. I don't think that would have been particularly easy, which is saying something because I created courses at the uni. Like I know know how to find the dot points and tick them off and cover them pretty (laughs) accurately. Absolutely. Yeah, and there was still, there was still more that I had to learn. Yeah, I I have trouble convincing people because they want to take two credits here, three credits there, five credits in the next place. And they take these these hours or credits that are fun and interesting and and sometimes cheap and convenient. Mm -hmm. And I tell them that's really great. But, you know, the test is not like that. (laughs) The test is not easy it's not interesting it's not fun it's it's hard and it's you know I I will admit having taken the exam myself many times there are times when I scratch my head and I think I don't believe they're asking this but they are but that's okay because I know that but I know that it's it's just unthinkable to me that a person who has never taken the exam could know enough to seek out those topics to study before they went to the exam Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, I see this in some of the groups where um, they're trying to get sort of uh, tick off as many of the health science units, for example, as possible oh. with with just one one unit that is offered through an online system and it's, you know, 10 hours or something. And I just don't think you get the breadth and the, no- the, the depth of the knowledge that you need yeah. in order to then sort of create that solid foundation for the lactation information that you're then going to have to retain if you do it that way. Like I think there's a really good reason that you're meant to have these health science units and this right. background. And if you're right. not a healthcare provider uh, and you you need to, you know, get these units somehow, then absolutely like having that solid foundation is really important. But um yeah, I, I know some people that have done the five credits here and the, the you know, two credits there. And 
I, I don't know how they managed it. And I, I, think a, I think a lot of it would have, it wouldn't be setting them up to really, to really pass the exam very confidently, I don't feel. Well, when people call our office and they say, um, I failed the exam, everybody on our team knows what the first question is. The first question is always, did you take a comprehensive course? And I will tell you that with rare exception, the person says, no, I did not. I took two credits here, three credits there, five credits in the next place, you know. And it's mind-boggling to me, Amy, because if you're going to take a comprehensive exam, (laughs) it just makes sense that you would need to take a comprehensive course. So it's not just that I'm trying to take their money, but I know that if they fail that exam, they're going to be spending more money and a lot of angst, not to mention having their, you know, confidence shot to pieces. Uh, What... What was a real motivator? Because I get this a lot. Well, I'm already a counselor. I think I'm pretty set. I don't really need to go to my IBCLC. What was it that made you say, you know, I think I really need to get my IBCLC here? Yeah, um, I suppose part of it comes from really wanting to be able to say, yes, I have the adequate training to provide you the support I, I don't believe that a breastfeeding counsellor has adequate knowledge. They can provide support, absolutely, and they can meet the mum where, where they're at and they can provide that. But the the knowledge that comes with, and it's not just about the exam. It's not right, just right. sitting that, the exam, like you've got a whole career after right, that. Right. So that's that's where I think it's really important. You do have this comprehensive knowledge because if someone comes up to you and says, you know, I've got this particular situation and you go, I've never even heard of that because you haven't done a comprehensive course. Like that's going to feel really crappy. But anyhow, I I go back to what I was saying. So the, the breastfeeding counselling, it just doesn't, it it is wonderful at getting you to be able to relate to the family and to provide information at a very surface level. But if those, if the, the, issues that are cropping up for that family are deeper, you need more knowledge and more understanding. And I also wanted to be able to be seen as, and I, I don't discredit what breastfeeding counsellors do or how incredible they are, but I wanted to have that level of, I suppose, yeah, I have, I have achieved this higher level of knowledge and information and education in this field. And I am an expert in this. I am capable of providing that level of, of support to you that is beyond what anyone, any other care professional can provide. If they haven't done this IBCLC, um, then they, they can't provide it. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I suppose it was partly the credential. It was partly for my own knowledge and interest. And it was also just so I could really provide adequate really knowledgeable support to the families in my area. Yeah, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking uh, what our motto is for my 90-hour course. And actually, it was one of the team that came up with it, uh, that it is the foundation you you need for the career you want. Yeah. And it's not easy to go through that course, but it really 
is designed to give you that foundation. It's not just to pass the exam. And I will admit that when I teach that course, I do struggle with, oh, let's see, what do they need for real life and what do they need for the exam? And and there's stuff that they're probably never going to see in in real life. And I I get that. But, um, you know, it, it is a very comprehensive exam and um, I'm also hearing you talking and thinking you just wanted to be the best you could be. That That's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, Ooh, absolutely. You're an overachiever, young lady. You absolutely <laughs> are. And uh, it's really, really, uh, it's just so inspiring. When I think about the kinds of people that deserve the scholarship, one of the questions I ask myself is, does this person have what it takes to march breastfeeding into the next millennia? Uh, to somebody who is really going to have that. Uh, it's more than passion, Amy. Passion is great, we, uh, but we all have passion. Uh, I want to know that it's somebody that really has the drive and the skills and the um, seeing the bigger picture. And you're, you've really exemplified all of those things. You're really a pretty amazing young woman. I'm just astonished that you've done it. I was a little surprised to meet you over Zoom. I was expecting you to be older. You've ah. just, <laughs> you've got such an incredible history. You've already accomplished so much. Uh, wow, I, I was just astonished, but certainly you were deserving. This kind of brings me to, for those people who are out there listening, Are you curious about how you can become the next scholarship winner? Well, in order to win, you have to actually apply. So let me tell you how to do that. Go to mariebiancuso.com. I know I've spelled it before, but this is important. So I'll spell it again. Here you go. It's M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O.com. And... Hopefully, you will be able to immediately see how to apply. If you do not immediately see, you can click on the tab that says contact us, shoot us an email, we will get back to you. And Amy, you're right. That's another one of our slogans, which is we will be with you every step of the way. And while I'm really glad that you were able to get through the course without needing our help, the truth of the matter is, uh, we've got people that sometimes email us multiple, multiple, multiple times, but that's what that's our job. That's what we're there for. So if you are interested in the scholarship, uh, there is a very limited window in which you can apply. You need to apply between May 1st and May 31st. And on May 31st, and that would be, by the way, U.S a date time. I'm talking to Amy, realizing it's a whole different day for her. Uh, But (laughs) uh, then the window will close. We all go through all of the uh, scholarship applications during the month of June, and we will announce the winner in July. So this is like buying a lottery ticket, okay? You can't win if you don't buy a ticket, or in this case, if you don't apply. So, uh, Amy, before we go tonight, any parting thoughts that you have about the course, the scholarship, the new career for yourself? Any last thoughts before we close up tonight? 
Oh, I'm just, I think I would really love to encourage everybody to really look into the course and see, you know, if it's the right fit for you, just go for it. Um, and in terms of thinking about my new career, I'm just so incredibly excited and a little bit nervous about the exam, but I know that I have such an incredible foundation to be able to pass the exam, but also to be able to provide this support long term. And the other thing I'd like to say is regardless of whether you do go for IBCLC and regardless of whether you're already an IBCLC listening to this, I really encourage you to get involved in advocacy oh, in your yeah. local region because uh, that is where we make big changes. We can pick up the pieces as IBCLCs to some degree, but we really need mass change within our systems. Um, and finally, thank you, Marie, for the scholarship and for being very so wonderful at providing this education. And I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to speak to you today. Well, I am so glad that I could meet you. I'm happy that the scholarship uh, provided uh, a way for you to um, be the woman that you're going to be, because I can tell you are going to make changes. It will be better in your locale. And all I can say is it doesn't go fast, you know, it's it's often slow, but you've got everything that it takes in order to make the world a better place to breastfeed. And I, I guess maybe that's what I'm committed to. I want to know that by the time I die, the world will have been a better place to breastfeed because Marie Biancuso did something about it. And likewise, obviously, Amy Singh is doing something about it. So yay us <laughs> and yay, yay us. everybody else <laughs> who is out there doing the same. Thank you so much, Amy Singh, the uh, recipient of the 2020 Felix Biancuso Scholarship and an invitation to all of you to apply and you can be maybe the next Amy Singh. That's all I have for now. Thank you, everyone. Thank you to my loyal listeners. Without you, I would not have a show. So thank you so much. And remember, your baby and everybody else's baby on the planet is born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.